Hello, welcome to Word on the Beat, the Red and Blacks podcast highlighting newsworthy happenings around Athens. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Allison Mong. I'm your host and the assistant news editor here. Each episode, I have a guest from the Red and Black on to talk about what's going on in the newsroom and some of the stories from the week. Special guest, please tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Liz Reimer. I'm the editor-in-chief. Yes. Thank you for joining me this week, Liz. So this week, I kind of wanted to do a bit of a crash course in the red and black, just like who we are, what we do, a little bit of history, and just talking about this very old institution in Athens. Exciting. I can definitely talk a lot about that. Thank you. So one thing that comes up in conversations a lot when I'm talking to people about the red and black that they don't really know what it means is that we're an independent student-run paper. So kind of what does that mean? for how we run and what does that mean to you as leader of our newsroom? So as an independent student newspaper, a lot of people, like you mentioned, don't know that we are independent. And that just means that we are separate from the University of Georgia. So we don't receive any funding from them uh, when we were first created way back in 1893. um, We were part of the University of Georgia. But then in 1980, we actually became independent. So yeah, not that long ago, honestly. And a lot of people don't know that. Sometimes we'll get a lot of reader feedback to the marketing and comms department of UGA asking to speak to the red and black, but they will just refer them right back to us and say, we're not a part of them. So that just basically means that we get to report freely um, on all types of issues, whether that's the Athens city, the community, and as well as the University of Georgia. So yeah, it's always nice to be able to report freely <laughs> can't boss us around or shut us down exactly especially because you and i are in a group chat with some other student journalists at some other papers who have been struggling at their universities because their papers are not independent and so hey universities don't violate the first amendment yeah i notice that a lot of other newsrooms um, whenever we do meet student journalists and they're in newspapers that are independent they kind of have to go through a whole system and a whole chain of people just to try to get to talk to someone through the university or they have to get stories approved before publication and it's just kind of like a really big hassle or if they do report on their university then they face a lot of backlash from the university and that just really restricts what they're able to do and just kind of keeps them in this small little circle of their comfort zone and yeah I encourage everyone to try to be independent, it can really help you expand what you can report on. I feel like I should amend my prior comment that just because a university is over a student paper doesn't necessarily mean they're violating the First Amendment, but they have a little more power too, which is scary. So kind of when a lot of people think of the red and black, they just think of our newsroom, like the editorial side, but we're a lot bigger than that. Can you talk a little bit about like what it takes to run this place? Yeah. So our editorial team is about 42, 40, 42 to 45 people, give or take some semesters. It depends, but that's just one corner of the red and black. Um, we have a separate other half of the building that is dedicated to our advertising side. And we have we actually just hired a lot of new interns for that um, and also our extra creative agency where we kind of act as like freelancers for local businesses through our agency. And we 
create designs and like take photographs for them and stuff like that, which is really cool. And that's a new initiative that we did started last year. So there's that. And then there's also our creative services department slash special publications where we do a lot of guides to inform the Athens community. And some of them include the visitor's guide, um, the eat and drink guide and the UGA 101 freshman guide. So not, we don't just do newspapers. We also have our entire website (laughs) where all the stories land and also the creative services advertising our creative agency. And yeah, we'll see where we head in the next few years. Because you were special pubs editor for a while. So that, that is crazy to me. Like the amount of work that y'all put into those and how, like how much goes into them. Yeah. I was a senior guides editor last spring and it was a lot. Um, It was me and two assistant editors at the time. And also we had an advisor and it was really fun to like work together on the guides, but it was like, a print production weekend for the newspaper but for like two weeks straight and so we would be finding stories interviewing doing everything and then creating this huge magazine style mini guide and it was a it was a lot of work and we're really proud of it so go go pick one up since you mentioned print production i kind of want to talk about like what that is for us and how that's changed over the last year or so to how we do it so since covid I think before we were weekly um, and then due to COVID, we had to switch to monthly. And then so I think something in that timeline is where we eventually switched to monthly papers. And I believe it was last spring, wasn't it? Because it was right after I started because I remember thinking, oh, thank goodness we don't have to do this every week. So that would have been spring 23. So. Yeah, so that's when we did monthly papers, which are called like ROPs. And this last fall was the first time that we did football papers for every home game. So we got to do a little preview, kind of riling up our readers to get ready for the games and stuff, and also what to look for and the biggest plays and key players and things like that. And a lot of the print production process has changed from previous years. So if you're an alum from four years ago, what we do now in print production is completely different to what you've done. And I know that our print managing editor, Lily Kirsch, is an absolute beast during production weekends. <laughs> she is a force of nature. She is a, an inspiration for me, honestly. She is able to organize everyone's stories, put them in the in the best kind of shape possible and get them on the page in such an efficient manner. And we have our print design editors and our contributors for design go in, work on pages, and then we put the stories on the page and then we edit it and it goes through a pretty rigorous process of copy editing and editing before it gets to the final paper. So what you see is the very final version, but it can look completely different from the very first one because of all of our changes, all of our edits and everything to make it look as our, our our best work and we always try to capture the writer's original voice as best as we can and everything so yeah we get like seven pairs of eyes on everything that goes in the paper paper production weekend is always chaotic but fun there's some floor time interspersed in there sometimes you just got to go lay on the floor and you know what that is journalism a that... lot of trips to jimmy john's real 
there's a Jimmy John's right next door for our listeners who do not know that. And they keep us fed. They probably don't know that, but they keep us fed. So also on the vein of paper, a fun little fun fact. If you are in Athens and you look at our newspaper boxes, you will notice that the address on them is not our current address. Our current address, we are on Baxter Street right now, but the boxes have our Jackson Street address, which I believe we left there in 2002, which is before I was even born. That's crazy. Pulling back into the editorial, we have a pretty hefty staff here, like you were saying, and I think it's so awesome to see the diversity of what we create in here. I mean, we have sports, news, culture, opinion, photo, podcast, clearly, video, social media. We have an awesome social media team and just everything that we do in here. And because you've been here a little bit longer than I have, kind of how have things changed in your time here? Or how have we, what have we done really well? Yeah, I was a contributor um, my sophomore year in the fall time. So it was fall 2021, October 2021 is when I first joined the culture desk and I went through recruitment and everything. And I think as I went through the semesters up until now, the biggest thing was just our digital presence as well as our social media presence. Um, I know that we first went fully digital and digital first in 2011 and since then, every year, I feel like it's a whole marathon to try to get to the next year of how we can adapt everything digitally and keep on innovating and keep on being relevant to our readers, to our students. And so the biggest thing is trying to find out what our readers on campus want to read, as well as what the readers in the Athens community want to see and also read. And so trying to blend those two audiences together in a format that works best for them. So we found that um, a lot of readers are on their mobile phones, are on social media, are on Instagram, are on Facebook. And so we've been pushing our stories to those feeds, trying to get more eyes on them, trying to start more conversations. Uh, podcast is also one of our newest kind of ventures. I think we started this um, last, last fall, so fall of 2022. And it was gone last semester, but then we brought it back this semester, and I think it's been doing really well, and this is just a different format for readers to see more about kind of what we do and what we're about and our mission, um, as well as going deeper beyond the words and the photos and actually listening to us and the stories behind what we do. Um, so yeah, our social team has been killing it. Um, every post that I see is a, a story that I helped to like see from the very beginning in our digital um, budget meetings and everything. And so all of our stories get pitched there and then watching it get edited and written by the writer. And then the photo team put a visual together for it and work all together. And then it ends up on our social feeds is really, really nice to see. So I think that's kind of how our workflow has changed in the past few years is how our digital presence has adapted. News is a team sport. We all have to work together and i think you create such good points because like our website slays y'all should go look at it red and black app download it read our stories on there if you're not what do you and turn notifications on because then you will get important stories so kind of also in our digital 
realm and kind of hitting on kind of what I try to do on this podcast and what you've been talking about, like pulling back the curtain a little bit, connecting more to our audience. You had us on staff do an interesting project this week with these bios on the website, which you guys should go check out our staff page on the website, see the awesome people who work here. So kind of tell me a little bit about how you came to that and why it was important for us to do this. So I am subscribed to a Pointer Institute newsletter, and it just talks about all of the newest journalism innovations and things that other publications are doing or not doing or what we should be doing and things like that. And I saw that the New York Times recently came out with these enhanced bios to where if you click on the author's byline, then you are transported to a page that's kind of their about page. But in previous years, um, it's always just been for us, it's looked like of like three to four sentences, just kind of describing what we do, what our major is, where we're from, and that's it. And so it doesn't really give our readers a lot of information about us, and it doesn't build that connection with our audience. Um, I know that some authors or some bylines were completely empty, or they were really outdated or old. Um, I think Jim Basses still says editor-in-chief <laughs> from the summer, so... Just really trying to clean up our digital presence is also um, key to building trust with our audience, because if you write a piece that is maybe a little controversial and the audience or there's a reader that wants to know who wrote it and maybe why and understand from their point of view why they covered this specific topic, then they can go and read more about them um, to try to get a sense of what this story meant to them. So now in our expanded bios, which will be rolling out in the next few days, we have a section about what I do and what I cover. And then it goes into a little bit about the author's background and where they're from, what their background is, whether their um, parents were immigrants, whether they're a part of the queer community or what types of identities they're a part of. And then it ends on what they value. And I think this is the most important section that I really wanted everyone to spend time with and find something that resonates with them. So we have our code of ethics, which I also just moved into a more transparent spot in our website. And it's adapted from SPJ's code of ethics. And people are able to kind of read through and understand what we value as an organization. And I really encouraged everyone on staff to kind of look through it and pick two to three things that resonate the most with them as kind of like a little promise that they'll keep with themselves as they're reporting every story. And so I chose chose transparency, the truth, and kindness. Those are kind of my three big things with each story, what I try to uphold and what I try to encourage with everything that I do here. My three that I picked for the values, I said accuracy, clarity, and transparency, but I really like what you said about kindness because I think such an important value for all journalists to hold is minimizing or not doing any harm and I feel like kindness goes hand in hand with that agreed I feel like sometimes as journalists we keep on reporting on hard things and the more that we are in those spaces we can kind of get in our own minds and just always want to yell at the people who are in power and hold those accountable but also to do it in a lens that's kind of more sensitive and vulnerable to the people who are most impacted and effective. And that's how I kind of take kindness as to turn the tension away from the people who are doing the wrongdoing and look at the people who are affected. And in turn, people will start to see, like kind of 
realize what situations they're in and what experiences they've lived through that will then hold those accountable accountable well i think that's all of the major things i want to talk about uh so to wrap up every week i was hit on a couple of the most interesting or fun news stories from the last week one pretty big one we had this week was about mayor and commission voting on short-term rentals if you have not checked out our article on the mayor and commission meeting this week you should check it out city hall was absolutely packed it was a five-hour meeting that is insane to me for context they run about two hours an hour and a half sometimes three at most you know last semester there was one that was six i cannot imagine this is why actually that's this is one of many reasons why i could never work in government um another pretty awesome story we had go up was cover coverage of flatland cavalry was performing here and the photos absolutely ate shout out to landon 100 percent agree i think this is landon's best one of his best photo galleries the colors the expressions the interactions all those good good verbs and nouns <laughs> he really hit on and um photo selection and editing and sequencing was also really really good so props to Landon. And then one last story that I believe might have actually gone up last week that was in our paper for this month, it was I really loved, was a story on navigating college life at UGA with invisible disabilities. One of our, actually one of the special pubs assistant editors, Sam, wrote that. And this one was really cool because she wrote this for a class we were in last semester. So I've gotten to kind of watch this story from the very beginning. And I'm very proud of her with how it turned out. I also really love this story. I think it's really important. And especially with a community like this, sometimes they don't get a lot of coverage. And and kind of like the title, it's um, trying to bring visibility to disabilities and sometimes they can be seen as invisible so trying to give them a space to talk about what they experience and maybe highlight some things that UGA could be doing better is really important yeah this really resonated with me especially because last semester fun fact for our listeners I had a mysterious foot injury and was in a boot and a brace or on crutches for about four months and let me tell you, college, when you are not 100% fully able-bodied, is a pain, and we should be doing more to fix that. I agree. I even, I didn't break any bones or had a myster- mysterious foot moment, but my car broke down for two weeks, and it was kind of hard. I had to and I speak from like a place of like privilege of always having my car, but I've always had to like rely on my roommates or um, a couple of my friends just to get around campus to get to different stores, different places, because my car was a mess and it just wasn't starting. And so that kind of it was interesting because we were editing this story and I thought a lot about people who can't drive and who have disabilities and they aren't able to drive. And it just like kind of put me in their position and just helped me kind of sympathize with them and see how they're feeling what they're experiencing so that's really interesting for sure well thank you so much for joining me liz uh thank you audience for listening in this has been word on the beat have a fantastic day